0: You know, making moves isn't necessarily a bad thing. Unless, of course, it's how the Packers have tumbled down the power rankings this week. Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I am your host, John Delray. Today we are working to answer some of the tough questions. How do the Packers move forward after their debacle against the Giants? Does it include trading for a new wide receiver? Does it include getting a new defensive coordinator? Maybe. We're going to dive into both of those topics. I'm going to share my opinion as well. Some facts. See what's going on, dive into a couple of different numbers, and come up with an answer for should the Packers make two major moves that will not only dictate the rest of this season, it's going to dictate the relative future as well. These are two huge questions that Lafleur and Brian Gutekunst have to grapple with as determining the Packers' future. But first, diving into practice today, yes, the Packers did practice today LeFleur in his, in his kindness. Gave the Packers an extra hour. He delayed practice by an hour today from his normal Wednesday time to give players a little bit extra rest and recoup time. I'm not sure what that hour does, but hey, why not? So they practiced a little later today, and I do have the practice report as to who practiced in full, who didn't practice at all, etc. One player that we do know about, Christian Watson. He kind of re-pulled that hamstring. Uh, In the game against the Giants, Lafleur said it was actually on a tugged route, and what he meant by that was basically it was a route that Christian Watson was running that should have been called to some kind of defensive interference because the defender was on him, but it wasn't called and Christian Watson kind of re-pulled that hamstring. Now, we don't know how severe of a pull it is yet. We don't really have any details at all. We do know that following the game, Christian Watson told reporters that he doesn't feel as though it's a huge deal. He's not overly worried about it. Doesn't seem like it'll be a huge absence. The fact that they haven't already placed him on injured reserve is obviously promising. So this has got to be less severe, you would think, logically, than Sammy Watkins' hamstring injury. So overall, did not practice today. Don't know if we'll see him against the Jets this coming weekend. According to Christian himself, doesn't sound like something to be overly worried about, that it'll be a long absence. Uh, moving on from that, someone who returned after a long absence, Kylan Hill, kicker-turner and running back three of last year. He was placed on the PUP to start this year, coming back from that torn ACL that he tore midseason last year. He is back. Now, back does not mean fully back on the fifty-three. It just means that he's back to practicing following his physically unable to perform list stint. Whether or not he plays anytime soon, still very much up in the air. Today was that first practice back. They have a 21-day window to put him on the 53. They can do it today if they want it. If he's ready and they want to put him on the 53, but they don't have to. They do have a little bit of time. And there is some murkiness around these rules. The NFL changed a lot of stuff with the pup and the 21-day window. But from my interpretation of everything that I've read, I do believe they still do have the 21-day window to activate him. But nonetheless, him returning to practice is a big deal. It also makes you wonder, is he going to just automatically assume returning duties again once he's back and healthy? Christian Watson or Mario Rogers? We'll see. Uh, A couple of did not practices. We got two more of those today. One is Teepa, the depth edge player for the Packers, special teamer. He was a did not practice today. No one's quite sure why. I haven't seen an an overall consensus from anyone from the team or the beat reporters who are in Lambeau. And then Aaron Rodgers uh, did not practice today. As he revealed on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, on that Hail Mary play that ended the Giants game, he kind of dapped his thumb, um, kind of kind of similar to Favre in 2003 actually, um, but he kind of dapped that thumb and apparently it's sore, but Rodgers expressed that there shouldn't be any problems in terms of playing on Sunday, and LeFleur echoed those sentiments in his press conference as well, saying Rodgers was going to get the day off today, but game day really is not a concern. And then you have three players who did practice, but on a limited fashion. David Bakhtiari, very much not ex- unexpected there. Uh, Elton Jenkins, limited as well. And then Devontae Wyatt, first-round draft pick, defensive lineman. Higgy returned to practice after missing this last week, also in limited capacity. So let's move on to the first of our major, major questions. I got <sighs> I gotta tell the truth. I'm excited about this one. You know, you always see it. Basically, any time for the last five years that there's been a major wide receiver, either free agent, available in the trade market, potential first-round pick, should the Packers do it? And most of the time, the answer's kind of like, yeah, sure, they could use him, but is he worth it? Should they? Yeah. Most of the guys who come available come available for a reason. Well, But the player we're talking about next, it's a lot of team turmoil as to why he may be available. Not so much his own fault. That player is DJ Moore from the Carolina Panthers. Now, you may recall the headlines from the summer. DJ Moore just signed a new contract with the Panthers. He signed a a brand new three-year, $61 million extension. And yeah, he did. But you want to talk about a franchise in disarray? Look no further than the Carolina Panthers. Just this last week, they fired head coach Matt Rule, uh, only a few years into a seven-year contract even, and they basically have made it known in amongst league circles, I believe Jay Glazer was the first one to talk about it, that, hey, call us up about our veteran players. Because the Panthers have orchestrated so many trades for quarterbacks in the last couple of years, uh, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, etc., they've orchestrated a lot of trades. They don't have that many draft picks. They also don't have a complete wealth of money available in their cap. So the Panthers are kicking back and saying, all right, the Matt Rule experiment didn't work. We need to do something to revitalize the future of the franchise. Maybe that includes a full-blown blow-it-up rebuild. Maybe the Panthers are thinking more tweaks and just want to get rid of stud players that can get massive returns like Christian McCaffrey. Or maybe it means let's just move some of our lighter veterans, like maybe a Robbie Anderson, who I may talk about in a future video as a target if the DJ Moore thing doesn't pick up any traction. But as of right now, the player on the Panthers that certainly intrigues me the most is 25-year-old DJ Moore. Now, DJ Moore is a wide receiver, he's 5'11", 215 yards. He's been Carolina's number one for a few years now. In fact, he's posted three straight 1,100-yard seasons. In fact, in a weird kind of statistical anomaly, three straight 1,100-yard seasons AND four touchdown seasons. This is a guy who has not, in Carolina at least, been relied upon to find the end zone a ton. Now, is part of that due to his size being only eleven? Part of it very well could be due to the quarterback play, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Cam Newton, the revolving doors that they've had at quarterback. And, but part of it is also just because they've had Christian McCaffrey, who is a receiving rushing, I mean, one of the best running backs in the league. And there's only so many touches down near the goal line. So regardless, DJ Moore, three straight 1,100-yard seasons, and we know that he probably wouldn't be opposed to a move. Uh, I think he was ready to get Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad on the phone after a few weeks of Baker Mayfield, because uh, he gave an interview about a week ago where he was asked about his involvement in the offense and Matt Rule kind of throwing the wide receivers onto the bus a little bit, and And D.J. Moore did his best to offer a very professional response. A response we've seen a lot of Packer-type give in the last few weeks. But a very professional, humble response. But still, you can see the frustration there of playing with Baker Mayfield, of playing in an offense that was supposed to work. Baker Mayfield was supposed to be an upgrade for D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson. And it's not panning out that way at all through five weeks. So may the Panthers look to move on before DJ Moore starts entering his prime years and they're in a rebuild. DJ Moore, as I mentioned earlier, is under a three-year, $61 million contract. That is hefty. Now, for the Packers to afford him this year, his cap number is not outrageous. It's still the tail end of his rookie contract. There's, like, there's obvious room there for the Packers to include him this year. The question is those future years assuming the panthers absorb due to a trade a large part of the guaranteed money you're looking at dj Moore still having cap numbers next year of over 20 million in 2024 it's going to be about 16 million 2025 16 million good money like that's a good contract for a bona fide number one but the Packers don't necessarily have that available in future years for a myriad of reasons, including Aaron Rodgers contract. But you have to believe since this is a new contract and given how crafty the Packers have gotten in recent years, is it possible that they could add void years, do the restructured thing, all these things that Russ Ball has become so acquainted with in the last couple of years after having not done it really much at all for the 10 years prior. Could Russ Ball do all of this to get the Packers DJ Moore? I think the answer is yes. I think the contract is workable enough. Now, 2023 is going to come with a, a just a litany of sacrifices, changes, etc. One of which, top of my mind, is Aaron Jones and his escalating cap number. Packers also have a number of free agents like Adrian Amos. Can they still take on the contract of DJ Moore? That's a Packer answer, really only one that Russ Ball can answer. I would think yes. I would think for a wide receiver in his prime when you are a team that needs wide receivers. Because looking ahead to the future, don't forget Randall Cobb, free agent after this year. Sammy Watkins, free agent after this year. Lazard, free agent after this year. I mean, those are your three big vets that you were going to rely on this season. They're all technically free agents after this year. And what does that leave you with? Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Amari Rogers, maybe? We don't know. We don't know if Amari Rogers is going to make it past this week even. So, can they do it? Yes. Should they do it? In my opinion, yes. Just to throw on one more stat here about DJ Moore, just to show that he fits the Packer way. He's a capable run blocker. In the last three complete seasons in Carolina, he's had run blocking grades, according to PFF, of 75.4, 57.2, and 62.6. I mean, yes, the 57, that's a little low, but ultimately the Packers want wide receivers who can run block. We see that with Lazard, Sammy Watkins. DJ Moore fits the bill. He's a little dude who fits the bill. And if Christian Watson is going to miss any type of extended time, then DJ Moore could be the guy to automatically come in and do all of the jet motion stuff. He's a deep, speed, wide receiver. Packers could use a guy like that. So, in terms of compensation, as far as I'm concerned with the third round curse... You could give the Panthers the third round pick for the next 10 years, and let's call it a deal, because we can't draft in the third round to save our lives. But realistically, if the Panthers wanted something, like spread out over the next two years, I would not do the same year, but spread out over the next two, if the Panthers wanted something like a second, a third, and Amari Rodgers, I would do it. And I'm basing that off of the fact of you can look at something like the trade that got Brown from Tennessee to Philadelphia. That was basically for a first and a third. Omari Cooper was traded only for a late-round pick, but that's significantly more of an anomaly versus what the market was. Green Bay knows the market well from the Devontae Adams trade. I mean, you're seeing a lot of these elite receivers having a first-round pick included, and I wouldn't necessarily do that, however second and third. Let's say as an example, this year's second, next year's third, and Amari Rogers? Yeah, do it. Done deal. This year's third, next year's second, Amari, yep. I would do it because DJ Moore gives you not just a wide receiver for this year. If you're a rental, I would say that's too much, too much draft capital, but DJ Moore could be your number one for the rest of this year and three more after at a reasonable contract. That's worth it for a second and third. I would do that. It's worth it. Now, do the Panthers want more? Maybe. We have no idea. And again, DJ Moore might not even be up for bidding right now. But for a team on a rebuild, you got to think everyone's got a cost. So we'll see, but I absolutely would do it. Now, moving on to the last question. Joe Barry, defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. What in the hell is going on with Joe berry now last year joe Barry came in and he was when he was hired there was not exactly a lot of excitement he had had prior stints as a defensive coordinator with detroit with washington and it, it it got lackluster results but they were lackluster teams packers brought him in and you know people were afraid but then all of a sudden we got into the season and guys were talking about being able to fly around more and you saw the intensity that the defense had Often last year, now, it wasn't a perfect defense last year. According to DVOA metrics, other advanced stats, things like that, they still, some of them said below average, some of them said average, but they had these singular games that they were through the roof. Thinking of, like, the Arizona game last year, of course, the playoff game against San Francisco. But nonetheless, you saw these spurts of energy. You saw guys swarming to the ball to tackle. You saw aggression. And yet this year, you would think they got even more talent on defense this year. More! Jair's back. They drafted Quay Walker. Devontae White's a little bit more of a project, but he's there too as a first-round pick. Like, they have more talent. And they're doing less aggressive work. And I don't understand it. Matt LaFleur, you knew towards the end of the Patton era how much Matt LaFleur hated the cornerbacks playing 10 yards off the ball, and yet, Joe Barry's doing it all the freaking time. We're seeing all of this super deep zone, don't get over the top. What for? I, I don't get it. When you have the talent and the athleticism that the Packers defense has, why are you playing so scared? I've read a lot from people who understand film much better than I, because I am not shy about the fact that I'm not a film junkie. There's people who specialize in it, and God bless them. But those are the types that say, you know, with Joe Barry, he was hired to bring in the the staley way of defense from the Rams and the Chargers, or maybe even the Vic Vangio school of defense. And instead, what we're getting is the Rodman Marinelli Tampa 2, which is a lot more prevent-based. A lot more like you back up, and then you stop them when things get tight, rather than going at them. And why? For the life of me. When you have Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes, go look at the advanced stats from last year as a rookie. did exceptionally well in terms of separation rates, in terms of man coverage, and now what's he doing against the Giants playing zone all the time? And doing it wrong. What are we doing? You don't see the same tenacity of tackling. You don't see the same swarming. You see guys who are very talented in the wrong spot, i.e. Razul Douglas playing the slot when he should be outside. Darnell Savage, who looks completely lost. And he can't tackle. Darnell Savage, I've seen a few rumors online. I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently Darnell Savage has campaigned to be allowed to play the star position. Do it. Do it. Why not? What have you got to lose? Like, the coverage is going to get worse. Put him in star? Put, uh, Put Razul Back in the, in the safety spot because Razul is a little bit more zone coverage than Jair or Stokes. So let Jair and Stokes have the outside. Put Savage in the slot. Razul, <coughs> excuse me, back at safety. It's the lack of... I'm not going to say lack of trying. But it's the lack of experimentation that's getting really old. You know, there was a very damning piece put out by the ringer just this morning, and I can attach it here in the description of this video, that said that the Green Bay defense is so incredibly basic and predictable. Sure, they'll put five guys up on the line, and then guess what happens? All five versus quarterback. And it's not even a blitz, because there just happens to be five humans there. You got your three defensive linemen, and then Gary and Smith. That's not even a blitz. That's just them running forward. But you're not seeing defensive line stunts, you're not, seeing, you're not seeing creativity, you're not seeing drops, you're not... It's just vanilla, and it's allowing teams to come up with something more exotic and beat them. Here's a great stat for you, which is so mind-blowing and damning. The Packers, through five weeks, have allowed the second fewest passing yards on the season. That's great! And yet, they've given up the most yards on the crosser route in the NFL. Mike Renner from PFF put that out. How in the hell? Crosser routes, not that complicated. And yet, you see it again and again. You saw it a thousand times in the Giants game. Guys just running, running right through the zone. No communication, no switches, no anything from the Packers. Pair that with the fact that all of a sudden you've got this, this just lack of energy and aggression that wasn't the case last year. And you've got to ask the question, why is leadership allowing this to occur? Why is leadership not getting the most out of a very talented group of players? Why is leadership scared? So here's my opinion. I am very much a disciple of the Pittsburgh Steeler and Green Bay Packer way. I understand that a lot of the elements of football are human and humans have the opportunity to correct change, etc. Joe Barry now has shown a pattern. Matt LaFleur's job is safe. You know that he's not going anywhere. He just signed a contract extension too. He's a very good young coach. And I will clarify here, too, some people in past videos thought that potentially I was calling for Lafleur to go. I, I'm not. I have issues with Lafleur's leadership. But that doesn't change the fact that he is a good young coach, and I would not let him go yet. Joe Barry? In my personal opinion, Joe Barry gets one more game. If the Packers' defense gets completely and utterly ripped apart by the New York Jets... And the weapons that they have in Zach Wilson. Then it's time for Joe Barry to go. If the defense looks the way that it did against the Giants. Or Bailey Zappi. Or Week 1 Vikings and Justin Jefferson. Then it is time for Joe Barry to go. But anytime you're going to get rid of someone. The necessary question comes in of, well, who's going to replace them? The Packers have... A couple built-in options. The number one, in my opinion, by far the most, is the secondary coach, Gray. He's a very hands-on leader. He has experience. He is your natural selection. He was considered for the job even when they gave it to Joe Barry. But if they're looking to stay in-house, which certainly for the Packers, I believe that they would be, Gray is your number one option. I do believe that. Moving if you're looking for someone external, just like you did for Rich Bisaccia, back up the Brinks truck and go get Vic Fangio. Is Fangio's scheme that far of a move from what Barry's been doing? You never want to change scheme mid-season, but I think Barry and Fangio are close enough, with how I understand defense, that it could be done. But time is ticking. And if you get to week six and a defense which is mostly the same personnel is unable to grow upon the success of last year and, in fact, is getting worse in a lot of regards, expectations for this team are too high. You are too invested in this year. It's time. It's also time to wrap up this video. Thanks for listening along today to do Lombardi Time Brews. Thank you so much for checking out. Even this past weekend's videos, it was so so great engaging with a number of people of comments since I got the comments thing all fixed now. Um, been really great getting to know some people through this channel. So thanks for checking it out. I will be back on Friday. Now Friday is my full-blown Jets Packers game preview where I dive into the Jets offseason, talk about how they've looked so far this season and analyze what are the important matchups for Packers versus Jets. So thanks for tuning in today. I will see you on Friday. I hope you're having an absolutely great day. And as always, Go Pack Go.